You're listening to the Mens Rea Podcast, and this is the story of Leslie Kenny. Kilrush is a coastal market town situated at the mouth of the River Shannon in County Clare. Its location along the Shannon estuary has given the busy town a rich maritime history, and this, combined with Kilrush's remarkably preserved historic architecture, led to its designation as one of Ireland's 15 heritage towns. Despite this, the town has unfortunately had its fair share of addiction issues and social problems, which began to escalate at the turn of the millennium, giving rise to increased levels of petty crime and drug-related offences. Shortly after 10am on Wednesday the 29th of July 2008, a call was made to Kilrush Garda Station about a row that was taking place at O'Gorman Street in the town. When officers arrived to investigate, they found a man lying face-up against the wall of a front garden, having suffered multiple gunshot wounds. He was pronounced dead at the scene by a local GP at 10.53am and a priest was summoned to administer the last rites. The dead man was known to Gardy and was quickly identified as 27-year-old Leslie Kenny. Also at the scene was 24-year-old Brendan O'Sullivan who lived in the house attached to the garden where Leslie's body was found. O'Sullivan lived with his wife Claire and the couple's two young daughters. Brendan O'Sullivan told the attending officers that Kenny had chased his children into the house and that he had shot him to protect his family. Garda Donald Corkery asked him where the gun was and he was led upstairs where he found a double-barreled shotgun standing upright against a wall on the landing. Garda Corkery asked Brendan O'Sullivan to accompany him to the station voluntarily, which he agreed to, and they headed for Kilrush Garda Station just before half-past eleven. Upon searching the house, Gardy recovered four spent cartridges, which had been placed in a coal scuttle in the sitting room, along with multiple rounds of live ammunition. Officers sealed off the scene and covered Kenny's body with plastic, pending the arrival of the Clare Divisional Crime Scene Investigation Unit. Realising the potential scale of the investigation, Gardy at Kilrush requested that additional officers be drafted in from Ennis to help with the operation. A white tent was erected around Leslie Kenny's body while investigators awaited the arrival of the state pathologist, Dr. Mary Cassidy. The incident had occurred in broad daylight on a busy road, and it was witnessed by a number of residents, so Gardy on the ground began door-to-door inquiries to try and piece together the events that led up to the shooting. Through talking to local residents, they learned that Leslie Kenny's girlfriend, Rebecca Blunny, lived a few doors up from the O'Sullivan's and he himself had recently moved in with her on a full-time basis. Multiple witnesses gave similar accounts to the Gardee about the events of that morning. Just after 10am, a row erupted between Brendan O'Sullivan and Leslie Kenny. Each man was standing in their own garden when a verbal altercation broke out between them. According to the witnesses, O'Sullivan was roaring and swearing as he called Kenny to come over, but Kenny seemed calm as he left the garden and approached O'Sullivan. 
None of the people interviewed heard what Kenny said in response to O'Sullivan's outburst, but all agreed that he wasn't aggressive or agitated. The neighbours who saw the row unfold said that they went back inside when they saw Leslie walking towards Brendan O'Sullivan, as Kenny had a fearsome reputation and they didn't want to get involved in whatever was about to happen. A series of gunshots were heard a few minutes later. Leslie Kenny had a formidable reputation throughout the Kilrush area, having racked up more than 80 convictions during his adult life, including offences such as violent assault, robbery and drug-related transgressions. Kenny's problems with the law began in his early teens when, at the age of 14, he started using drugs. By the time he was 21, Leslie had already spent a combined total of five years in jail. During his spells in prison, his recreational drug use spiralled into heroin addiction, and as a result, his life became a vicious cycle of addiction, treatment centres and incarceration. In September of 2003, Kenny enrolled in a Limerick drug treatment clinic for inpatient treatment, but was discharged two days later after he was found to be still under the influence of drugs. Following his release, he returned to Kilrush and went on a spree, stealing a mobile phone before breaking the window of a shop, from which he robbed a handbag containing medication. For these offences, he was sentenced to 20 months in jail. He was back before the courts in September of 2005, this time charged with damaging four cars in Kilrush Town Centre. While waiting for his case to be heard at Ennis District Court, Kenny assaulted another man, Raymond Donovan, who was attending a hearing related to murder charges that he was facing. Both men were in the same courtroom when Kenny ran at Donovan, caught him by the shirt and tried to bite him. During this incident, he also threatened Donovan and caused such a commotion in the courtroom that Judge Joseph Mangan had to flee his bench and retreat to his chambers. For this incident, Kenny was sentenced to five months in jail. Much of Kenny's criminal history related to petty crime offences and Gardy described him as a, quote, nuisance and a pest but they said that he was not involved in any gangland criminality. Among other offences that Leslie Kenny had been arrested for and charged with were assault, burglary of a church, unauthorised taking of a vehicle and possession of various weapons such as knives, hammers and syringes. According to journalist Abigail Riley, Kenny was an unpredictable character who was widely known and feared throughout the community in Kilrush. He was known to threaten people who refused to share their prescription drugs with him, and according to locals, Leslie would terrorise anyone who crossed him in any way. However, his brazen antics hadn't gone unpunished by residents in the town, and in the years leading up to his death, along with spending long spells behind bars, Leslie had also been on the receiving end of a number of severe beatings. Reporting for the Irish Independent, Emer Connolly wrote that in the aftermath of one such attack a year before the shooting, the damage done to Leslie Kenny's face was so grotesque that he was unrecognisable. But regardless of his criminal history and fearsome reputation, he had been unlawfully killed, and it was now up to Gardy to unpick the nature of his death. Brendan O'Sullivan and Leslie Kenny had known each other since childhood, having attended the same national school in Kilrush. Both men's families were well known in the town, especially O'Sullivan's, as his mother owned a boutique shop on Moore Street that sold homewares and gifts. Despite their familiarity and the fact that they grew up in close proximity in the small town, O'Sullivan and Kenny never had much interaction with each other. 
However, in the summer of 2009, all of this would change when the O'Sullivan's shop was broken into. In the process of the robbery, a handbag belonging to Brendan O'Sullivan's mother was stolen, and he believed that Leslie Kenny was the perpetrator of the crime. Tensions had been rising steadily between the pair since, and in the weeks following the burglary, Kenny suffered a savage beating, which he alleged had been carried out by or on behalf of O'Sullivan, though no formal complaint on the matter was made to Gardee. A feud developed following this attack, and Leslie Kenny launched something of an intimidation campaign on Brendan O'Sullivan, threatening to shoot him at his back door, pour petrol in his letterbox, and hurt his wife and children. The day before the shooting, the intimidation reached a new high. O'Sullivan's sister-in-law, Anna Carthy, had been sitting in her car outside the AIB bank in Kilrush when Leslie Kenny and his girlfriend Rebecca suddenly opened the door and sat into the back seat. Kenny told Carthy that he would hurt Brendan's two young daughters, threatening to slit their throats and use a seven-shooter gun to put in the windows of the house. It was this incident that would ultimately set in motion the events of the following morning. During Brendan O'Sullivan's initial Garda interview, he claimed that he had been up in his bedroom when he heard his wife Claire screaming. He said he had gone downstairs to find Claire hysterical as she ran past him with their infant daughter in her arms, shouting, quote, he's going to kill us, he's going to kill us. O'Sullivan said that he looked out the door to see Leslie Kenny running up the path toward their house, and that was what had prompted him to run upstairs and fetch the shotgun. The gun was unloaded, he told detectives, so he grabbed a handful of cartridges. As he ran down the stairs, he loaded the gun, and as Leslie Kenny came through the gate, he raised the shotgun and pulled the trigger. O'Sullivan told investigators that he had shot twice, aiming for the legs, and that Kenny had fallen, but then got back up. This was why he had reloaded the gun with two more cartridges before shooting Kenny in the legs. O'Sullivan said that he didn't mean to kill Leslie Kenny, and when detectives asked him why he had reloaded the gun after the first round of shots, he said he had done this because he thought that the first shot hadn't hit Leslie because the man had gotten up and made in his direction. When asked why the whole situation had occurred, Brendan O'Sullivan told detectives about the feud that had been escalating between the two men, detailing the litany of threats his family had received from Kenny. He was asked if he had reported any of the threats to Gardee, but O'Sullivan said that he hadn't because he was, quote, not one for going to the guards. Initial eyewitness accounts stated that O'Sullivan had been standing on the bench in his front garden shouting at Kenny, but when this was put to him, he denied it, insisting that his version of events was accurate. Investigators asked him how and why he had come into possession of the shotgun, which was legally owned and registered to a relative of his. He told him that he had agreed to mind it at the request of a cousin who was afraid that her estranged husband would use it to kill himself if she kept it at her house. O'Sullivan said that his wife Claire was against the idea and didn't want the gun in the house, but he had agreed to look after it anyway. When investigators put it to him that he had asked his cousin for the gun to protect his family, Brendan O'Sullivan denied this vehemently, repeating that he was minding it at the request of his cousin and never intended to use it. O'Sullivan also insisted that he was trying to protect his family when he shot Kenny, and that he never intended to kill him, he just wanted to scare him off. He told investigators he was terrified that Leslie Kenny would come into his house one night and carry out his threats. He said he hadn't been sleeping because of this, and had been put on sleeping tablets to help. 
O'Sullivan told Gardy, quote, All I could think of was my wife and kids. If I wanted to kill him, I would have shot him in the head. I just wanted to scare him off. As a result of this initial interview, Brendan O'Sullivan was formally arrested and detained under Section 30 of the Offences Against the State Act, giving officers a further 72 hours to question him before they would have to make a decision on whether or not to charge him. Meanwhile, Dr. Mary Cassidy arrived at the scene on O'Gorman Street to conduct a preliminary examination. She found Leslie Kenny lying against the wall of the garden with shotgun injuries to his trunk and lower body. As ballistic experts continued their inspection of the house and garden, Leslie's remains were removed to University Hospital Limerick for a full post-mortem examination, during which it was found that he had suffered four shotgun wounds. Dr. Cassidy noted that the first bullet wound was to the right side of the trunk, which had caused injuries to the right lung and liver. The second had hit Kenny's right hip, and the third and fourth had hit each of his knees, damaging the right femoral artery and both popliteal vessels, which run from the knees into the lower legs. The pathologist determined that the first shot had been fired from a distance of around 15 feet, while the subsequent three shots were fired from a closer range. Death would have occurred rapidly due to the extensive damage caused by the injuries. As detectives worked to tally the post-mortem findings with Brendan O'Sullivan's account and the eyewitness statements, a number of inconsistencies emerged. There were multiple people who saw the beginning of the altercation on O'Gorman Street and their accounts directly contradicted O'Sullivan's story about Kenny chasing O'Sullivan's wife and child. In fact, all of the people who spoke to Gardee named Brendan O'Sullivan as the instigator of the incident. Dr. Cassidy's post-mortem findings also cast doubt over O'Sullivan's recollection of the shooting, in particular the positioning of Kenny when the shots were fired. On foot of these inconsistencies, Gardee conducted a second interview. O'Sullivan again detailed the threats that he and his family had endured from Kenny prior to the shooting, and then he repeated his account of Kenny chasing his wife and child into the house. According to O'Sullivan, Claire was screaming that Kenny was going to kill them, and as he ran down the stairs with the gun, he said that he heard Kenny scream, quote, I'm going to cut your throat and the child's throat as well. O'Sullivan repeated his narrative that he had loaded the gun as he came down the stairs and raised the gun with his right hand on the trigger. He fired two shots in quick succession from the doorway, knocking Kenny to the ground, but O'Sullivan said that Kenny had gotten straight back up and continued to come at him with a quote, evil face. O'Sullivan said he'd then broke the gun open and the empty cartridges flew out. He put two new ones in, closed the gun and aimed for Kenny's legs before firing another two shots. Detectives asked Brendan O'Sullivan if Kenny had a weapon in his hand and O'Sullivan said that he hadn't seen a weapon, but that Kenny had his hand in his pocket. The following day, O'Sullivan was brought in for a third interview and this one differed hugely from his previous two accounts to detectives. He said that his previous story of Kenny chasing his wife and daughter was untrue and that on the morning of the shooting, his wife had just returned home from the shop when he looked out the window and saw Leslie Kenny crossing the road near his house. O'Sullivan wanted to confront him about the threats he'd been making, so he stood up on the bench outside his house. He described the exchange to detectives, saying that Kenny, who at this point was about six houses away up the road, 
had shouted at him that he had seven shots waiting for him. At this point, Claire O'Sullivan became distressed, and as Kenny continued to approach, she started to scream that he was going to kill them. O'Sullivan told her to get out the back door for her own safety, and he ran upstairs to get the gun. He continued, quote, I took the gun up. All I could think about was that my wife and my kids were going to be killed because of the threats he was making to my family. During previous accounts, O'Sullivan claimed that all four shots were fired from the doorway of the house. However, he now told Gardy that the first two shots were fired from the doorway and then he had gone to the middle of the driveway and fired the third and fourth shots at close range. In a further subsequent interview, Brendan O'Sullivan admitted that in response to Kenny's threat about the seven shots, he had responded, quote, If you shoot me with your seven shot, you will be getting a shot back. He also told Gardy he was sorry for what he had done and repeated his claim that he was in fear for his life and the lives of his family. After being interviewed over the course of three days, Brendan O'Sullivan was brought to Ennis District Court and was charged with the murder of Leslie Kenny. He was supported by a crowd of family and friends and his solicitor Eugene O'Kelly told the court that his client would be fully defending the charge of murder. In an unusual move, Mr O'Kelly told Judge Leo Malone that an independent post-mortem was carried out on behalf of the defence by Dr Alistair Bentley, who was the Deputy State Pathologist for Northern Ireland. The solicitor said he was making the court aware of this as he would need O'Sullivan's legal aid certificate extended to cover the cost. Judge Malone told Mr O'Kelly that he wasn't sure if he had the authority to do this, but said that should the lawyer's research indicate he had the ability to, he would grant the order. Mr O'Kelly assured the judge that the High Court would sanction the extension provided it was brought to their attention by Judge Malone. Residents of the quiet street where Leslie Kenny had been shot were in shock. His death was the first fatal shooting in the history of Kilrush, and locals were horrified at the nature of the crime, with one quoted as saying, This is a grand street, and I have lived here all my life. Despite the problems the town has had, this kind of thing is still shocking, and it's very shocking that something like this can happen in your own street, where there are children playing and people doing their everyday business. Local County Councillor Gabriel Keating echoed this sentiment as he spoke to journalist Carol Byrne, who covered the story for the Clare Champion. He said, quote, This happened at half ten on a beautiful summer's morning in a quiet area with a lot of people in town. It's such a shame. Leslie Kenny was laid to rest at All Saints Cemetery in Shanachile on Tuesday, August 4th, 2009. The Requiem Mass was celebrated by Father Michael Sheedy, who acknowledged that the large congregation of mourners at St. Sennan's Church was present out of respect and shock, rather than curiosity. Father Sheedy had known Leslie well, he said, and he recalled a number of chats they had had in the past, when Leslie told the priest he was trying to straighten out. The last time Father Sheedy saw Leslie Kenny was a few months before, when he and his girlfriend Rebecca had come into the church to pray. During his homily, he spoke at length about Leslie's life, saying that nobody could claim to be without fault as they lived their lives, and Leslie was no different. He should not be subject to critical judgment, said the priest, adding that regardless of the manner in which an individual lived, nobody deserved to die in the violent way that Leslie had. Six weeks after he was charged with Leslie Kenny's murder, Brendan O'Sullivan was granted bail and was released on a surety of €10,000 with O'Sullivan's own bond of a thousand euros. He kept his head down as he awaited trial, but tensions were still simmering between the Kenny and O'Sullivan families. 
On March 14, 2010, eight months after the shooting, Brendan O'Sullivan's stepfather, Simon Madigan, was at the Abyss nightclub in Kilkee when he was approached by Leslie Kenny's brother, Jonathan. Jonathan allegedly told Madigan that if he saw Brendan, he would kill him, and that he had a shotgun at his house ready. It was also claimed that Jonathan Kenny made threats against Claire O'Sullivan, saying he would make sure she would be in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. Simon Madigan went to Kilrush Garda Station a number of days later to make a statement to Gardee regarding the encounter, and Jonathan Kenny was subsequently arrested and charged with making threats towards Brendan and Claire O'Sullivan. The case came before Ennis Circuit Court in October of 2010, but when prosecuting counsel Mr Stephen Coughlin asked Simon Madigan to describe the incident to the jury, he refused to give evidence, saying, quote, You have it there in the statement, I don't want to give evidence against this man here today. Based on Madigan's refusal to give evidence, Judge Rory McCabe directed the jury to acquit Jonathan Kenny. Less than two weeks later, on November 1st, 2010, the murder trial opened at the Central Criminal Court in Dublin before Mr Justice Patrick McCarthy. Brendan O'Sullivan pleaded not guilty. In his opening statement, Michael Durack, senior counsel, appearing on behalf of the DPP, told the jury that on the morning of July 29th, 2009, Leslie Kenny had followed his daily routine of going to the local chemist to collect his medication. He was returning back to his home on O'Gorman Street at around 10am, and within half an hour, he had been shot dead. Mr Dirac said the court would hear that a double-barreled shotgun was used to kill Leslie Kenny, and that four spent shotgun cartridges were found at the scene. Evidence would be given on how two shots were fired before the gun was reloaded and fired two more times. The prosecuting counsel admitted that Leslie Kenny was, quote, no angel. He may have been of questionable character, but the prosecution were not seeking to mitigate this. Whatever his character, Leslie Kenny's death was not lawful, and in effect, it amounted to premeditated murder. Mr. Dirac told the jury, quote, I suggest to you that by the time you hear all the evidence, you will be satisfied that Mr. O'Sullivan is guilty of murder. Thomas Casey, a neighbour of both O'Sullivan and Kenny, told the court that shortly after 10am on the morning in question, he heard two men arguing and cursing. He heard one of the men saying, quote, We'll sort out this mess. Mr Casey said he looked out his front door and saw Leslie Kenny at the door of his own house. Casey then went back inside and he heard a loud bang. Joanne Carrig, who was the sister of Kenny's girlfriend, Rebecca, said that she was in her own house on the street when she heard a loud argument outside. She went out to see if she could see anything but couldn't, so she returned inside. Miss Carrick said she then heard a bang, which she thought sounded like a shotgun, followed by two more shots. There was a pause of about 45 seconds before the second set of shots. Joanne said she rang Gardee and went back outside to see Brendan O'Sullivan pacing up and down in his garden and speaking on his phone. She then saw O'Sullivan's father and stepmother coming, just as her own sister Rebecca arrived to find the body of her boyfriend. Rebecca, she said, was screaming, Leslie, over and over again. Under cross-examination from senior counsel John Phelan defending, Ms Carrick said she knew that Leslie Kenny was involved in drugs and theft and that he drank. She claimed that she wasn't aware whether or not people in the town were frightened of him and she didn't know if he had any convictions for carrying weapons. She told the court, quote, He was very polite to me. I can't speak ill of him. He was never violent or aggressive to me. 
Another resident on the street, Pat Brazel, gave evidence that on the morning of the shooting he was outside his house, which was opposite Brendan O'Sullivan's. He was speaking to a neighbour when he said he saw O'Sullivan come out of his house and stand on the bench in his garden. Mr Brazel said that O'Sullivan started shouting at Leslie Kenny, who was about eight houses up along the street, saying, quote, come down and we'll talk about it. He told the court that he saw Leslie Kenny approach O'Sullivan's house and that he then went back inside his own house as he didn't want to get involved. Mr Brazel said he heard nothing after this due to a hearing problem. He added that Brendan O'Sullivan was a, quote, model neighbour and that though he didn't know Kenny, he knew that he had a reputation. A further eyewitness named Jared Tevlin told the court that he had been dropping his daughter off to a house on the street at about 20 past 10 when he saw one man roaring at another man who was walking up the street. The man who was shouting was standing on something in his garden as he roared, quote, Will you fucking come down and talk to me? Maureen Tevlin, who was Jared Tevlin's sister-in-law, gave evidence next. She said that as she took her niece into the house, she saw Brendan O'Sullivan standing on a bench shouting. She didn't see who he was shouting at, but said that he was using, quote, strong language. She went inside and phoned Gardy, saying that there was a dispute in the neighbourhood. Brendan O'Sullivan's father, Brendan Sr., gave evidence that on the morning of the 29th of July, 2009, he had received a frantic phone call from his son, who said that he had killed someone in the garden before hanging up. Brendan Sr. and his wife rushed to the house on O'Gorman Street, arriving less than five minutes later to find Brendan sitting on the garden bench. His stepmother asked who he had shot, and Brendan told them to turn around. Brendan Sr. told the court it was then they saw Leslie Kenny's body lying at the bottom of the garden. He asked his son why he had shot the man, but got no response. Brendan Sr. went inside, where he found Claire O'Sullivan at the back of the house crying, just as Gardy arrived at the scene. Garda Richard Burke, who was the first officer on the scene, told the court that O'Sullivan seemed calm when he arrived at about 25 to 11. He said that O'Sullivan had told him that Kenny chased his kids into the house by way of explanation of what had happened. Garda Burke found Leslie's body at the bottom of the garden and he called Superintendent Michael Cummins, who arrived within minutes with a number of other guardee. Garda Donal Corkery gave evidence of entering the house at 11.10am where Brendan O'Sullivan was present with his wife and a number of other family members. Garda Corkery detailed the conversation he had had with O'Sullivan, who had told him, quote, I was protecting my family. He was going after Claire. I heard her shouting and I saw him. Garda Corkery then testified that he had asked O'Sullivan to accompany him to the station voluntarily, which he'd agreed to, and he was questioned there after being cautioned. Following the eyewitness testimony, videos of Brendan O'Sullivan's five Garda interviews were shown to the jury, tracking the changes in his story over the course of his three days of questioning. Once these had concluded, the court heard forensic evidence from Dr. Mary Cassidy, who detailed the nature of the shotgun wounds on Leslie Kenny's body. It was Dr. Cassidy's opinion that the first gunshot, which caused the injury to the trunk, was shot from a distance of about 15 feet. However, she said the injuries to the hip and knees were from a closer range. On inspection of the wound path of the bullets, the pathologist surmised that the first injury occurred while Kenny was standing, but that the second shot was likely discharged when Kenny was lying on the ground or attempting to get back up. 
The two final shots to the knees were sustained by Leslie while he was lying on the ground. This contradicted Brendan O'Sullivan's account, which stated that the first two shots were fired together from the doorway as a warning, and the subsequent two shots were fired at a closer range. Ballistic evidence was heard from Detective Garda Louise O'Loughlin of the Ballistics Section of the Technical Bureau, who examined the scene at O'Gorman Street in the aftermath of the shooting. In the house, Detective Garda O'Loughlin said that she found both live and discharged cartridges. Firstly, in an infant's bedroom on the ground floor, she found a live shotgun cartridge on top of a wooden cabinet. In the kitchen, she found three more live cartridges on a cupboard over the microwave. And in the bedside locker of the master bedroom, she found a box of ammunition containing seven live cartridges. The four spent cartridges, said the detective, were all found in a coal scuttle in the sitting room. Detective Garda O'Loughlin went on to describe the gun itself to the jury. It had an automatically engaged safety catch, which, according to the detective, meant that when the gun barrel is opened and reloaded, the safety catch automatically comes on when the barrel is closed again and must be taken off in order to fire the gun. She also told the court how the gun has two triggers, one for each barrel. These combined features would make unintentional discharge highly unlikely. As part of her examination, the ballistics expert had carried out a number of range determination tests using the shotgun, and through these assessments, she she determined that the first shot to Leslie Kenny had been discharged at a range of 16 to 24 feet, the second had been shot at a range of 2 to 4 feet, and the final two shots were fired at a range of 1 to 2 feet away. This corroborated the earlier evidence of Dr. Mary Cassidy, which once again contradicted Brendan O'Sullivan's account. Julie McKiernan was called on behalf of the defence to tell the court how Brendan O'Sullivan, who was her first cousin, had come to be in possession of her husband's shotgun. The prosecution had contended throughout the trial that O'Sullivan had sought out the weapon from Julie for protection, but Julie contested this. She recalled that in the weeks leading up to July 29th, some trouble had arisen in her marriage to Kevin McKiernan, who was the licensed holder of the shotgun. Julie McKiernan was concerned that her husband might use the shotgun on himself, so she thought it would be safer if it was not in the house. She claimed that she had asked Gardie if they could take it into their custody, but her request was declined. And so it was under these circumstances that she had asked her cousin Brendan to look after the gun temporarily. Julie said that O'Sullivan never mentioned wanting to use the gun for protection, and she thought nothing more of it until she received a phone call from him on July 29th at around 10.40am, telling her that Leslie had been shot. She rushed to the house and found Brendan O'Sullivan shaking. He told her, quote, I thought he was going to kill them, though Julie said he gave no further account of what had happened. Also called for the defence was O'Sullivan's sister-in-law, Anna Carthy, who recalled that the day before the shooting she had been sitting in her car in Kilrush when Leslie Kenny and Rebecca Blunny had jumped into the back seat. Miss Carthy alleged that Kenny had said he would hurt Brendan and Claire's kids and had threatened to, quote, slit their throats and get a seven-shot repeater and blow in the back window on top of the two girls. The witness said that she was terrified of Kenny, who she described as unpredictable. That night, Brendan O'Sullivan had come to visit her and the incident was weighing on her mind from earlier in the day so she told him what had happened and what Kenny had threatened to do. Anna's evidence concluded the defence's case. In his closing speech for the prosecution, Michael Dirac told the jury that O'Sullivan had lured Kenny to his home patch before shooting him, 
he had continued to give an inaccurate account of what had really happened, and contrary to O'Sullivan's story that Kenny had been running toward him, forensic evidence from Dr. Cassidy and the ballistics expert suggested that, in fact, he had been bearing down on Leslie Kenny as he fired the shotgun. However, John Phelan, defending, asked the jury to put themselves in his client's position and to take into account the threats made by, quote, an unpleasant man. He also asked them to consider the fact that shooting Kenny in broad daylight at half ten in the morning in a housing estate was, quote, not the attitude of someone who planned to murder someone. Mr Justice Patrick McCarthy charged the jury and they were sent away to deliberate. However, O'Sullivan's defence team requested that the jury be recharged. They believed that the judge's initial charge was not clear enough and that the jury would not understand that apart from guilty or not guilty of murder, there was also an option of not guilty of murder but guilty of manslaughter available to them. This option would be relevant if the jury believed that the accused was acting in self-defence, but had wrongly believed that his excessive force was reasonable in the situation. Mr Justice McCarthy refused the request for a recharge. Early in the stages of their deliberation, the jury asked for two pieces of evidence to be brought into the jury room. These were a mobile phone, which had been found broken during a search of O'Sullivan's house, and a paper target which was similar to a target that might be used during shooting practice. During his Garda interview, O'Sullivan had told officers that he had never shot the gun before, and so the presence of a shooting target in his house might cast doubt over this. However, there was a problem. Although the mobile phone and paper target had been collected and tagged as part of the investigation, they had never been entered as evidence and didn't form any part of the prosecution's case. The jury were told that they couldn't have the items, and they were sent to lunch as the legal arguments regarding this issue began. O'Sullivan's defence team wanted to know how the jury knew about the existence of the paper target, since it had not been in evidence. They could find no answer for this, and they feared that because the jury were speculating on events not covered during the trial, they could be heading towards a verdict that wasn't based on the evidence provided. John Phelan asked for the jury to be discharged on the back of this, But Justice McCarthy refused this submission, saying that the jury should be trusted to do their job. Later that day, after just two hours of deliberation, the jury returned a unanimous verdict, finding Brendan O'Sullivan guilty of murder. There was an outcry in the court as the judgment was read out. O'Sullivan nodded and said thank you to the judge as he was handed a life sentence for the murder, while his wife Claire broke down and wept as she embraced her husband. According to journalist Abigail Riley, as O'Sullivan's family were leaving the courthouse, they bumped into a small group of the jurors at a pedestrian traffic light. There were angry scenes, with the supporters of the convicted man shouting, he's not guilty, as the jurors hurried away, visibly upset. After the trial, tensions continued to simmer between the Kenny and O'Sullivan families, and four months after the verdict, Claire O'Sullivan spoke to Cahill McMahon of the Irish Daily Mirror about the abuse and intimidation she said she'd been suffering due to this ongoing feud. She told him, quote, Last Sunday night, someone came along with a hatchet and broke all the windows on my car. She continued, quote, They put an axe through the roof before leaving it in the child seat in the back of the car. I'm terrified for my life. I'm petrified. I'm afraid my children will be attacked in their beds, so I'm sleeping on the couch downstairs. She alleged that Brendan's mother and cousins had also been targeted in the attacks connected to the feud. 
Claire said that all this had been ongoing since the end of the trial the November before, and she saw no way to end the conflict without one or other of the families leaving Kilrush altogether. But John Casey, who was Leslie Kenny's stepfather, claimed that his family had nothing to do with the attacks. He asserted that there was no feud ongoing as far as they were concerned. John Casey's sister-in-law, Alice, said that their family had also been the victim of attacks, and alleged that John's car had been smashed up by someone wielding a baseball bat. She commented, quote, This should have ended in Dublin at the trial. It has the potential to grow into something bigger. It is a possibility that more people could die. Senior Garda sources in Kilrush confirmed that tensions were running high, and that a number of complaints had been made regarding violent incidents. Quote, there are two families here, and both have serious grievances and regrets. It's not all one-sided, as some might make out. In 2013, Brendan O'Sullivan lodged an appeal against his conviction, based on what his defence team said was the, quote, failure to direct the jury properly with regard to the partial defence of self-defence. Counsel for O'Sullivan Michael O'Higgins said that the judge's charge ultimately failed to adequately cover what he called the middle ground between an acquittal and a guilty verdict, and as a result, the jury were, quote, left in a hopeless state of confusion with regard to the option of finding O'Sullivan not guilty of murder, but guilty of manslaughter. However, the Court of Criminal Appeals subsequently ruled that the directions given by the judge were adequate, and there was no miscarriage of justice. Following this dismissal, O'Sullivan applied to the Court of Criminal Appeal to have his appeal referred to the Supreme Court, but this application was ultimately denied by the CCA, who determined that, in O'Sullivan's case, the jury simply did not accept that O'Sullivan was acting in self-defence. As a result of the feuding and attacks between the Kennys and O'Sullivans, Claire O'Sullivan eventually moved abroad with her children, out of fear for their safety. However, the rest of the O'Sullivan family still live in Kilrush, as do the Kennys, and the feud has died down in recent years. As Leslie Kenny's step-aunt Alice Casey said, quote, There are no winners in this. One lad is dead, another lad is behind bars. Let's just leave it at that. Thank you for listening to Mens Rea, a true crime podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Mens Rea Pod, or you can send an email to mensreapod at gmail.com. This podcast is made possible in part from generous donations by supporters on Patreon. Patrons get ad-free episodes, bonus episodes, nifty merch, and of course, my unending thanks and undying love. Special thanks this week goes out to Dylan. Please do check it out at patreon.com forward slash mensreapod. Our theme music is Quinn's song The Dance Begins by Kevin MacLeod. Additional music is by Juanita Meisel and Kevin MacLeod. This week's episode was researched and written by the amazing Aileen Spearin. Additional writing and production was by me, your host Sinead. All sources for today's episode can be found in the show notes or on our website, www.mensreapod.com. And so, till next time, don't do anything I wouldn't do. (laughs) 